0: Welcome to Helix Talk, an educational podcast for healthcare students and providers covering real life clinical pearls, professional pharmacy topics, and drug therapy discussions. This podcast is provided by pharmacists and faculty members at Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy. This podcast contains general information for educational purposes only. This is not professional advice and should not be used in lieu of obtaining advice from a qualified healthcare provider. And now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to Helix Talk, episode 69. I'm your co-host, Dr. Kane. I'm Dr. Schumann.
0: I'm Dr. Patel.
1: And the title of today's episode is, The Pharmacist Must See You Now, A New Rule Requiring Pharmacist Counseling in Illinois. We actually have a very special guest today. His name is Dr. Dylan Moe. He's a PharmD graduate of the College of Pharmacy here at our own Rosalind Franklin University, class of 2015. He's a retail pharmacist in the local area here in the Chicagoland area. He's actually been a pharmacy manager for just over a year now, and he also is a a preceptor for the College of Pharmacy here. So, Dr. Mo, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for the invite. So today we're talking about a new rule that uh, went into effect in August and then began being enforced in September related to uh, an Illinois rule requiring that all new prescriptions must be counseled by a pharmacist when a patient picks up that new prescription.
0: And in particular, we were talking about the Illinois rule 1330.700, which is the Pharmacy Practice Act's patient counseling rule.
2: And this was enacted in response in particular to the Chicago Tribune story that a number of our listeners may have heard about, discussing dangerous drug interactions and concerns about picking them up in a clinical practice setting.
1: And we're not going to get too much into kind of the background of the Chicago Tribune article and things like that. Suffice it to say that it's a very controversial piece, and there's been a lot of discussion about the findings of that article. And for now, we're just going to kind of leave that where it is uh, and we're going to focus on what the impact of that has been which is this new Illinois rule.
2: So the first piece of it is that the pharmacist or the student pharmacist must, and again must being the key word here, verbally counsel patients or the patient's agent with every new prescription.
1: And I just want to emphasize there it's not just the pharmacist it's actually the pharmacy student that can also be involved which I think is a great addition to that rule Right.
0: Yep, under the observation of the supervising pharmacist, pharmacy students can perform the same duties.
1: So what exactly counts as a new prescription? Because old prescriptions, if it's your 4-3 fill, doesn't count, right?
0: Correct, so the definition of new over here is if the patient is new to your pharmacy, or the patient is belonging to your pharmacy but receives a new prescription, or if there is a change to the existing prescription in terms of a new dose, a new strength, a new route of administration, or new directions on how to take the medicine.
2: And again, the other piece of it that's important to look at is the offer to counsel is something that the pharmacist is responsible for.
0: And that's pretty much the same um, that's there been, uh, offer to counsel on all the other prescriptions such as the refills.
1: And Dr. Mo, we'll talk about this later, but we can't force a patient to listen to you, right? So does Correct. a patient have the ability to say, no, I
3: don't want your counseling? They do have the ability. Oftentimes they will refuse with the technician, but the law states that the refusal can only be accepted by the pharmacist or the pharmacy student.
2: And I think the other important thing of that too is the documentation piece of it, to say if somebody yes. does refuse to make sure you have that documented in your... Right.
1: Now, in terms of what is counseling, it would be very easy for someone to say, you know what, this is your brand and generic, you're good to go. And that's really not what is appropriate in terms of an adequate counseling session. So within the, the rules, it does give some examples of good counseling points with the discretion of the pharmacist saying, you know, use your clinical judgment in terms of what's important and what's not.
0: And I, I hate to go back to the Chicago Tribune again, but they did a follow-up piece once this new law became effective, and they said under the picture of our governor, Bruce Rauner, that you know because of whatever happened due to our investigation, um, the governor is now requiring pharmacists to counsel patients on dangerous drug interactions. And it's, that is a little bit misleading, and that's why we want to importantly talk about what does this rule require as far as the counseling pertains.
2: Right. So some of the things that are in it, and again, as Dr. Kane said, there's some professional judgment as far as what to include, but some suggestions, things on um, the drug name, the dosage form, the route, the duration of therapy, techniques for self-administration, storage. So again, thinking of medications like dabigatran or pradax that have to be stored a certain way, refill info, missed dose instructions, special directions, side effects, adverse effects, or as Dr. Patel mentioned, interactions. That sounds a lot like the grading rubric would use for a pharmacy student, right? And clearly,
1: you can't touch on every aspect for every single patient that has a new or a modified prescription, right? So again, I think it's critically important that we understand that there is pharmacist judgment that goes mm-hmm. into the concept of what do you want to talk about with your patient. And even if it, all of those elements were required, think about how ineffective your counseling session would be if you gave them... 100 different bullet points about the drug that they're picking up, and then they pick up five new prescriptions.
2: That would be ridiculous, right? So absolutely some amount of clinical judgment must play a role here. And the other piece of it too is that every pharmacy now has to show a sign that describes the new law as well as how to file a complaint should you feel that you did not receive the adequate amount of counseling.
0: Yeah, and then this rule is um, a little bit relaxed in terms of your on-site or off-site institutional pharmacies. They're not bound by the law unless these pharmacies are providing um, discharge medications to the patients when they are institutionalized. Then they're required to provide education and counseling and document accordingly.
1: So again, you know, a lot of this came out of this Tribune article that we won't get into. Um, The law itself is actually fairly short. It's very easy to just read it and see what uh, elements are in there. We've really covered probably 90% of it, but I'd encourage the listeners to take a look, and we'll have a link to the website of where that law is to be able to review that, especially for the P4s who might be taking their law exam in Illinois in the future. It would be a great idea to just peruse that to see what the requirements are. So with that, we brought uh, Dr. Mo in today because he's kind of on the front lines, seeing how this rule has impacted uh, pharmacies that are dispensing medications to patients and are now impacted by the requirement to provide this counseling. So uh, Dr. Mo, would you mind just telling us a little bit about your pharmacy in terms of maybe how active your pharmacy is in, in terms of prescriptions per day or any other metrics that you can provide us?
3: Of course, I do anywhere from 275 to 300 per day As far as anything specific or unique about my store, I do have a number of senior homes in the area that we actually deliver to, so that there's been some questions raised about counseling requirements when we're doing deliveries because we're not actually seeing the patient or a representative. There's always going to be metrics, and that's the way with any retail pharmacy. Unfortunately, those have not changed at all in response to the laws. um, They've not adjusted those for difference in the amount of work we have to do anything like that
1: and you know just to get a little bit more information about your store Mm -hmm. do you have a drive-up window
3: we do have a drive-through
1: is it a a a mono or a dual drive-up window we only have one okay we only have one and clearly you know that plays a role in the concept of how how you're able to communicate with your patient it does without
0: violating (laughs) HIPAA.
3: yeah unfortunately that's a that's a difficult uh difficult area to to tread in Mm -hmm. um when you're having to speak through a phone to somebody outside the store.
2: One other thing is we think about, again, what the impact of this is gonna be on staffing or being able to control the different areas of pharmacy. So do you have pharmacy students that work work or operate within your store, and what do you think about, about this potentially expanding their role? I do. I have uh, students that are actually employed by the
3: company um, that work for me. They can assist in pretty much anything that I allow them to as far as uh, counseling, immunizations in regards to the counseling laws it does help significantly when they're there and they're able to counsel the patients but when they're on the clock they're working as a technician so then it's pulling them away from other tasks that they need to be doing so
1: and as you said you know one of the things to think about is your workflow and how this impacts your workflow and your metrics and things like that and clearly I would imagine it would be frustrating to have the same metrics, but then have more work, which I think happens in a lot of different jobs, right? As you kind of, um, especially as you're in a job for a long period of time, you get more responsibilities without necessarily having more hours to do those things, right? It
3: absolutely gets frustrating because, yes, they haven't really changed anything as far as staffing goes.
1: No, I will say that the last time I went to uh, a pharmacy to pick up a prescription at this particular pharmacy I went to, I saw a, a note that said that new prescriptions cannot be dispensed between 1230 and one because the pharmacist is on a lunch break and they're not able to provide that counseling. Is that something that you've kind of seen as a change or is that just in that one store maybe that I was at?
3: No, it has been a change. Um, historically, if a pharmacist was on duty by themselves, and a weekend, a nine-to-five store. Uh, there was actually no lunch break. However, since this new law was enacted, there are now 30-minute uninterrupted meal breaks. So yes, we do have signs posted that the pharmacist will be unavailable between a certain time to dispense new prescriptions. We don't actually close, so the technician is still back there. However, you know I'm able to go sit down and actually eat a, eat a meal.
1: It's crazy that before the rule that that wasn't like built in, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because obviously before that pharmacists didn't need to eat.
1: Right, of course it was, not. It was the pharmacist diet plan. You, <laughs> you just don't eat. That's <laughs> true. Um in terms of staffing has anything changed with that?
3: No, my store actually has had the hours cut, so I have less staff than I did before, and our operating hours have changed. So now I'm open 2 hours less per day, doing the same volume with less staff. Awesome.
0: So how are you able to manage this new rule and how are you able to incorporate that as a manager of your pharmacy? I know it's only been a, a month since the rule has been enforced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about your difficulties or successes?
3: So difficulty is the company that I work for, they are very broad in terms of what a new prescription is. A lot of physicians now use electronic prescribing. So a patient will go to their physician, Normal yearly checkup. They send in all new prescriptions of all their previous medications. In our system, it shows that it's new. However, if you review the profile, clearly they've been on April for three years. This is not a new prescription for them. However, the company I work for counts that as new and says it's required counseling. So I can see
1: that it could be frustrating if uh, the Illinois law is less restrictive, but then your corporate rules are a little bit more restrictive in terms of the counseling requirements that probably also conveys a little frustration to the patient, too.
3: It does. You know, they're told by the technician that because this is a new prescription, they have to be counseled by the pharmacist, and they look at the technician and say, no, this is not new. I've been on this for years. However, they still have to step over and be counseled by the pharmacist. Oftentimes, those individuals are the ones that say, I don't need counseling, just give me my prescription.
0: And um, this is the month of October. Usually, that's when all the uh, vaccination, especially flu vaccination, starts. So not to forget that we need to maintain that workflow, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming, and you may expand on this, that this adds a little bit more difficulty and challenge to manage your workflow.
3: It does. I have great technicians, so they're able to maintain workflow and manage it pretty well prior to the law i would oftentimes go to the out window to help when there was a big line of people now i do that less and less because if there's a line of people and i'm stuck helping one person and three people need counseling i can't do that so i try to not spend so much time out there and so i'm available for counseling and questions and
1: i think that's a really good point that i'd like to talk about a little bit more is that mm-hmm. the ratio of your time is going to be different now and also your ability to as you kind of put it to um, help out in different areas of the pharmacy mm-hmm. you may be more restricted because you have to do this one task whereas previously you were able to kind of manage your time and do different tasks based on what was necessary at the time mm-hmm on the whole do you view that as a good thing where you're kind of forced to do this patient counseling aspect or is it a bad thing in the sense of now you aren't able to help out for these older prescriptions because you have this one newer prescription that's Mm going to take a lot of your time
3: it's good and bad obviously you pointed out that not being able to help with other tasks throughout the pharmacy is something that you know tends to uh, make more work i guess for the other for the technicians Um, however i think the counseling rules are a positive in terms of what the patient gets and their understanding of their medications.
2: And actually, to kind of I'm going to move off that point, but on a similar uh, plane, is so... We think about, again, the role of a pharmacist and really focusing on some of those clinical outcomes. Do you feel that this new rule may improve a patient perception of what a pharmacist does? Because, again, they see more of that natural habitat of doing the counseling maybe Mm -hmm. versus some of those other tasks.
3: Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, You know, I've had a number of patients thank me for giving them information about medications that they would have no idea. Um, A lot of ER prescriptions that, you know, ER docs and ER nurses don't necessarily go over. Medications with the patient, they give them their, their pieces of paper, and then they're off. So having to discuss that with them is definitely a positive.
1: I think maybe a corollary to that is not just about their perception of the pharmacist, but maybe also do they feel like they're able to uh, use their medications in a safer way, where they know what to expect. They walk away their patient satisfaction outcomes in terms of I'm familiar with my medication. I know what to look out for. Their overall competency of their meds is better.
3: Yeah, I absolutely think so. You know, I've had a number of people that have been on, you know, we'll say Cipro, for instance, uh, for a number of times. And, you know, a new one comes in and, you know, this discussion about, say, the metallic ions, iron and, you know, calcium, you know, we can't take Cipro with those because it binds to it. They've been on it numerous times before. Nobody's ever told them that, you know, so they'll take their Cipro with a big glass of milk, you know, things like that. So um, I think their understanding of their medications and the obviously the perception of the pharmacist has, has increased.
0: And perhaps, you know, um, that's one perception of the pharmacist. But when we talk about pharmacy perception and the mm-hmm. environment itself, I guess it doesn't feel so much like a McDonald's, you know, queue or a drive-thru, where if they are approaching a drive-thru, they know that if it's a new prescription, it may take a little bit longer because the pharmacist has to counsel. Or if they're coming in with a new prescription for an antibiotic, like Mm -hmm. you just mentioned, that they need to spend maybe a couple more minutes, even if they have their kid crying in the car, that, you know, because you need to educate them out. Mm -hmm.
1: I wonder, too, if that uh, changes the patient's viewpoint on the utility of the drive-up window, that maybe they're less likely to use it because they they know that they're going to have to, you know, quote-unquote, sit down with the pharmacist for a little extra time, and it's not a simple transaction, and maybe some of those more complex patients won't go through the drive-up where they're taking 15 minutes in the window and instead would go in. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Yeah,
3: one would think and one would hope. Um, However, not always the case. You know i just had somebody uh discharged from a significant stay in the hospital and they had i think six different meds all brand new to them through the drive-through you know so i was there which i'm okay with i was there for probably 10 or 15 minutes going through each one with them and i have no problem with that but you know as you look out the window and see car after car after car after car lining up behind them you know the car behind them is not going to be okay with that so
1: And even just the ability to communicate is so different in person versus uh, through the phone or through the microphone, Mm -hmm. at least in many of the pharmacies I go to because of the glare on the window. It's hard to even see them. And then even like, you know, the nonverbal cues and stuff like that. It's just a completely different environment.
3: It is. It's it can be difficult at times. I try to do the best I can.
1: Well, with respect to that, do you have any metrics on your Average wait time for a patient to go from beginning to end, and has it changed with the the
3: new rule? There are metrics as far as having prescriptions done by their promised time. The there's no set amount of time that it has to be done within, so we don't have a timer um, that's going. But you know, obviously, if we tell somebody it'll be ready in an hour and a half. the expectation of it being done in an hour and a half is still there, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's really um, on us to determine what we can actually do in the given amount of time.
1: So I guess maybe subjectively, would you say a wait time is a little bit longer than it normally would be because of the new rule? Or have you been able to manage it where basically everything's the same from a patient perspective with regards to wait time?
3: We've we've kicked it up. We've, we've extended our wait times just because we know there is going to be a significant amount of time taken out of what I'm able to do.
1: And I assume you're the only pharmacist working. We should have clarified that earlier.
3: Um, for the most part, we do have overlap later on in the day. So there is a couple-hour overlap, but that's used for our pharmacist lunches and then essentially just catching up from what we had to do in the morning.
0: So you, you kind of gave a couple examples of how patients left with better understanding of how to use their medication and mm-hmm. how to make a safe use of those medications. Um, so I can conclude that one of the pro of this rule is that patients do have better understanding, and on the flip side, pharmacists have that fulfillment of their obligations you know Mm -hmm. career obligations too Um, but as far as the counseling goes and maybe this was something that you were doing already but in order to fit this requirement into your current uh, workflow um, do you have tips or tricks that you know I have a a five bullet points that I want to go over and that includes everything about this medication or then you have a strategy to attack Four new medications versus just the one new medication. How do you fit it in?
3: It's a good question. Um, As far as one versus multiple, when there's multiple, obviously, I'm looking at the specific things about the drugs, the more important things, I guess you can say. You know, I'll sometimes leave out storage. Um, I typically go through the drug name, directions, dose, and then major side effects or adverse reactions. That's generally what what I go through that oftentimes leads to questions from the patient. So then I just kind of play off of them as far as what else I'm I'm talking to them about.
2: So so kind of to take it again back from the patient, back to you yourself, how, how has the new role impacted your morale at your job and your overall job satisfaction as well as maybe the satisfaction of your employees, your technicians, your colleagues?
3: So I am all for it. I like it. You know, I went to pharmacy school to be able to do this. Exactly, this is exactly. this is part of it. So I have no I have no problem with the new counseling laws. Um, I think it's beneficial for everybody. It keeps me up to date on, you know, thing, when it first started, I was looking at a lot of different drugs and going, man, what do I remember about this? But I like it as far as um, job satisfaction. I, I'm still satisfied with my job. The fact that I don't want to say lack of lack of help, but the non increase in help. Makes it difficult at times, but I think overall I'm I'm still pretty satisfied with my job.
2: And then you kind of mentioned a little bit about technicians that you know that you have feel like you have less of an opportunity to then kind of go and assist if there is a long line mm-hmm. at the drop off window, for example. So how have how have they responded to this?
3: Um, they're taking it in stride. They know it's a law. They know it's something we have to do. Um, so they're doing the best they can with what we're given.
1: I think that's really good to hear because I think that that's one of the marks and you said that you have great technicians. I think Mm -hmm. it's a mark of a great team that instead of saying the sky is falling, there's no way we can do this, you guys figured out how to do it, Mm -hmm. right? And you took it, like you said, in stride and as a team, you've picked up the proper roles that you needed to in order to get it done Mm -hmm. and maintain your quality, maintain your workflow. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure not all pharmacies are that way. I think that some probably aren't able to maintain the quality and things like that. But it sounds like you guys have done a really good job with that. And it probably speaks to your teamwork and to uh, the team that you've built, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, we try. Some days are better than others, obviously. Um, You know, there's days when we all leave and don't want to go back. Um, but I think overall we have a great team.
1: And I know earlier you mentioned kind of a typical patient response, especially that patient who's filled their Lipitor 900 times and it's the 901st and a retail pharmacy computer says you have to do it again, right? You have to, it's a new prescription. Yeah. Aside from those patients, which I totally understand, um, the, the level of frustration with that for everyone else, where it's a genuine new prescription, What's the typical reaction that you're seeing? Have patients kind of grown accustomed to it yet or not? Or do they even notice the difference?
3: They're starting to become accustomed to it. Typical reaction is, why am I doing this? You know, why, why do I have to talk to the pharmacist? You know, I, I discussed this with my doctor. He already told me about it. And then when I mentioned something that clearly the doctor did not, you see kind of a light bulb moment with the patient that, okay, this is you know, this is a good thing then. So.
2: Yeah. And as you said, again, it's, it's getting back to, I think what we all studied for and trained Mm -hmm. for is the opportunity to sit down and really go through the risks and benefits of these medications individually with an individual versus kind of a rubber stamping. And I think with a silver lining approach, it does give you more of an opportunity to do exactly that.
3: It does. It's, uh, I think people are starting to realize that, you know, prescription medications aren't just something that, are benign. They don't mm-hmm. have any issues. Things like that. Um, they're starting to realize why they're actually classified as a prescription.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that because if you talk to a patient about like why they wear a seatbelt, right? In mm-hmm. terms of like what is your risk of having a, a fatal injury if you wear your seatbelt versus not? Generally, they would wear the seatbelt because they appreciate the value in doing that. If you talk to them about though one to two percent risk of bleeding, of a nearly fatal bleed on their warfarin. When you actually address that, I think that it really puts into perspective how dangerous some meds are. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to properly monitor them in terms of self-monitoring, it's the equivalent of not wearing your seatbelt, hanging your head out the car, you know, doing really not smart things that um, if you're properly educated you know Hey, the melana isn't normal or um, this really horrible headache and I'm on warfarin, not normal, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that are really important that I do think it is this critical critical mass where once a good number of patients understand the importance of the counseling that it becomes, you know, second nature that this is what happens when you go to a pharmacy.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you think about the advocacy of pharmacy profession in general, we are all striving to get the provider status. And it's one thing to convince our colleagues, are practitioners, you know, ph- um, physicians or nurse practitioners or PA providers. But it's it's really the change that will come about in the patient's perceptions that mm-hmm. we are really a provider is to provide this type of clinical content and expertise to the patient. So uh, I think this rule kind of helps um, put the vision out there in the normal public's view that we're not just, uh, pill counting and, you know, um, sticking type of pharmacists. We are actually providing, um, clinical counseling and expertise, um, that we are trained for.
1: I think it's worth mentioning Illinois is not the first state to do this. Like we are not alone in Mm -hmm. having this rule. And I've spoken to pharmacists in states that do have a counseling requirement and they, they, absolutely have the philosophy of when it when it was enacted it was kind of tough in the beginning but then patients figured it out and now it's second nature and it's a normal thing so if anything illinois is joining the group of states that value patient safety value the role of the pharmacist and things like that so um, if anything i think we've joined as opposed to being the trendsetters in the group
0: absolutely mm-hmm. yeah uh, i practice in wisconsin and wisconsin is one of those states that required counseling to begin with so Glad to join the progressive states of uh, pharmacy practice.
3: Yeah, I have um, a couple of technicians slash students that are from Wisconsin, you know, so when they were working and we started the transition, I would ask them, hey, how do you guys do it up there? What is, you know, what's kind of the workflow? What's the role? How does it work up there? You know, to kind of get some, a little better insight as to how we can transition down here.
0: Learn from the best practices. (laughs) Yes.
1: You know, one thing that I think is interesting to talk about is kind of the rationale of, from the patient safety point of view, the pharmacist point of view, but also kind of the the corporate point of view, that generally speaking, this is not in the interest of a a retail pharmacist from an economic standpoint to provide this service. So what's interesting is that, like many other things in life, sometimes you have to have a requirement of you have to counsel in order for a corporation, let's say, to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this is a great example of that, that um, it would be very unlikely that a pharmacy would require all new prescriptions to be counseled, given the effort, the time that is involved in that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is in the best interest of the patient. So uh, this is one of those circumstances where economically, for an individual store, maybe not a great idea, but in terms of what's the right thing to do, It's a really good idea, and uh, that law, I think, plays that role. So hopefully other states will be thinking about, Illinois did this, is it time for us to do this as well? Uh, Dr. Mo? if you were to sit down with a legislator uh, from any other state that doesn't have this rule, what are some of the things that you talk to them about, either elements of the law that you think are really good or really bad to avoid, or um, just the rationale to do it or not to do
3: it? I think uh, the law as it's written is... It's sufficient. It requires counseling on new prescriptions. The way the law is written, um, it does clarify as far as, say, Schedule 2 prescriptions, because those have to be new every month. Um, The law states those are not required counseling if the patient has been on them historically. Um, So I think the the way the law is written is sufficient. It provides a great uh, experience for the patient, great information for them, As far as the implementation there still needs to be some work with the retail pharmacies and what they can do to provide an efficient way to do this as far as staffing goes as far as hours goes and things like that because you know you don't want an increase in errors on other prescriptions because we are moving so fast trying to get you know these things done because we know we're gonna have to counsel all these patients um, so I think there's there's multiple avenues that have to be uh, looked at as far as proper implementation.
1: What about you guys? Are there any elements um, that you think are really important or that you would try to avoid
2: in a, a new law for a different state? And I think one of them, I think, was said is to, to really have a clear um, understanding of uh, again, about unintended consequences, and just making sure then that as it's put in place, that it's not you know going to have is it an impact in another piece of it, whether it's the order verification piece mm-hmm. or the filling piece of it, that, that there's nothing else that kind of gets squeezed in as a result. You said, all right, you know, our time is is stuck. It's you know we have a certain amount of time allotted, and this takes up a piece of it, so everything else just kind of gets the short shrift. Mm-hmm. And so, I want to make sure again to, that that's not the case that that there is some sort of a change in the workflow or understanding about about the numbers piece of it that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, in my opinion, I think, um, like Dr. Mo said, the law is written sufficiently to let the independent pharmacies or the corporate pharmacies to assume the role and fit this into the existing workflow. Um but what I am more interested in knowing is that the practice has really changed after the implementation of the law. And I, I guess it's, it's not going to be something that the state will require for pharmacies to measure. It will be upon the independent pharmacies or the, the corporate pharmacies to kind of collect their own data and see, have we increased the the pharmacist satisfaction of the job that they're doing this now? Or have we increased patient satisfaction on the services they are receiving? Or have we increased the pharmacy technician satisfaction on what the overall workflow like or the job burden is like?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, and that's a great point, Dr. Patel, because I think that burden, if you will, for to collect that kind of data is really on the store itself, because if they're not doing a good job taking care of their employees or improving satisfaction of their patients employees and patients are going to go somewhere different at some point if they don't foster that relationship Mm -hmm. so for sure not necessarily not needed part of the law but absolutely these stores should be thinking about that to make sure that they're still getting the highest quality pharmacists that they can get and that their patients are coming back right I think for me, two elements of the law that I really love that if I was to talk to another uh, lawmaker in a different state, one is I love the fact that they require a sign be posted because I think that Mm -hmm. that's so important to empower the patient if they get a bad experience to say, this is the number that you call. If we did a bad job, And I can tell you personally, before the law, I've been to pharmacies where I don't even get asked, do I have any questions? I fill four prescriptions and it gets thrown at me and I'm on my way and they have no idea I'm a pharmacist, but as a pharmacy faculty member, that makes me cry a little bit inside, right? So to have that sign that says, you should be counseled on this. It's not just, do you have questions? It's a legitimate counseling session. And you are entitled to that, I think is really important. And then the other thing that I think is really important is that they weren't incredibly prescriptive about what you talk about. And when I first read the law, and again, the listeners, it's linked on our website at helixtalk.com, they have like, 10 or 15 elements that could potentially be included in a counseling session. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading that, uh, the the thing that says like user clinical judgment is at the very, very end. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, holy cow, there's no way that you're gonna talk about 10 elements for every prescription. So I love the fact that they gave a lot of good examples, but they still left it up to the pharmacist as long as that isn't abused, where the pharmacist says, well, my judgment, I just have to talk about brand and generic. Clearly that's not appropriate, but to offer that judgment call, um, I think highlights our role as professionals, as um, content experts. And I think that that's critical that you're not basically prescribed that you have to talk about these five elements every time, that
2: they do offer some leeway. And I think that's really important. Right. Because again, there's going to be situations where you think of something like a bottle of Simethicone that may not have you know quite the emphasis on storage of something like, again, mentioned the uh, Dibigatran or something like an insulin as well. So the ability to, to focus on what is the biggest piece of it for that individual medication. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Dr. Kane, I know you mentioned your experiences prior to the law, but I can't help myself but share a couple experiences I had myself after the law was implemented. Uh, one prescription was for my mother, so I was going to pick it up, and the pharmacist was very adamant about counseling, despite I told them that I'm a, myself a pharmacist, and they were almost doubting me. So, kudos to their pharmacist. They finished the counseling. And then just last week, I went to pick up my own prescription from a local pharmacy, and the pharmacist did not even ask if I had any question about the prescription. We're still seeing two sides, and I was actually looking for the sign to see if there is a sign posted that it's required by the law and I can call if the pharmacist didn't do so. It was the end of the shift and our pharmacy was almost closing, so then I, I didn't do so. But we're still seeing the, some discrepancies here. Um, maybe the, the law is very fresh and uh, the complete implementation, especially within the corporate or chain pharmacies, has not happened yet.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, for any law, you're going to see an adoption time period where there is that kind of transition period. But, you know, especially for the listeners, as healthcare providers, as patients, we should be holding the feet to the fire of the pharmacies and the pharmacists. If they're not doing their job, then at some point, it has to come back on them to be doing their job because there's a reason that the law is in place. I think from a patient safety standpoint, you can't tell me it's not a good thing for that. And I think that that should be our highest priority of all time, right? I, I hope that in the future, we don't get this regression down to brand and generic counseling. Um, but if we do, I, I do hope that all listeners uh, strongly consider you know, providing that feedback back to the state or that the state has a mechanism to be monitoring and tracking and potentially punishing if they're not doing what they should do. So to kind of summarize, you know, this new rule took effect in the state of Illinois in um, August slash September of this year, so we've had basically a month under our belt, so things are quite new, and currently the, the rule says that if you fill a new prescription or you have a modification of your prescription in terms of dose, frequency, things like that, that you have required counseling, and it is the patient who can defer that counseling, but they have to you know, have a written uh, deferment of that counseling opportunity.
2: Right. And there are there are also a number of components of the counseling piece, ones that are considered or recommended options. But however, there's a lot of flexibility given both time and the individual medication about what may or be may be more or less vital for that individual prescription, then the, the pharmacist can use that professional judgment to determine what, what to focus on during that counseling time.
3: Exactly. And the the new counseling laws are absolutely beneficial for the patient. However, the increase in workload for the retail pharmacies can sometimes be a little overwhelming, but it's just something that we have to have to learn how to handle.
0: And to the listeners, I would like to remind that this law is nothing new for the other states. They're already doing it. So Illinois is following some of the, the states in uh, providing this counseling and making it mandatory. But I think it's important as, as a nation, as we're trying to get gain this provider status, that we not only do so in the eyes of other healthcare providers, but do so in, in the eyes of our consumers, which are our patients. And I think this law does help uh, with promoting pharmacists as providers in the eyes of our patients.
1: So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. If you wanna actually read the rule that we've been talking about, uh, you can get a link at helixtalk.com. This is episode 69. Uh, We've also linked to the frequently asked questions from the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, Division of Professional Regulation. Uh, So they have an FAQ basically outlining some of the things that we've talked about today if you have more questions about the rule. Um, we're also on Twitter, at Helix Talk. And with that, I'm Dr. Kane. I'm Dr. Sherman.
0: And I'm Dr. Patel. And I'm Dr. Mo. Thank you so much for joining us today. And to the students out there, counsel hard. If you enjoyed the show, please help us climb the iTunes rankings for medical podcasts by giving us a five-star review in the iTunes store. Search for Helix Talk and place your review there. To suggest an episode or contact us, we're online at helixtalk.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Helix Talk. This is an educational production, copyright Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and
3: Science.